Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can take your seats. I wanted to introduce our, our speaker this morning, uh, Mr. Luis Castellanos. I, I met Luis as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old uh, in youth group. He was my youth pastor uh, back in Texas and um, one of the primary people that the Holy Spirit used to bring me to faith in Jesus. So we're going to hear from a man that I personally owe um, a gigantic debt of gratitude to. He's a, he's a man that I um, respect and admire pretty deeply. And as most of us know in the room, we're, we're sending out the, the Braga family to go plant in, in San Diego. And we've been in kind of a search for maybe a, a, an elder to come and join the team. Uh, Luis is kind of our, our foremost guy in that process that we're we're considering uh, adding to the Taproot team, the Taproot family. So would you guys give him a big old warm Taproot welcome? Luis, you can come on up here, buddy. Hey, guys, good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. It's good to see you. I had the chance to, to visit with you guys about a month ago, and I got to... Uh, meet um, your elder team and a whole bunch of you guys and some of the uh, leaders here at Taproot, and it was a fantastic visit just about a month ago. My family got a chance to come with me that time, and they couldn't be here uh, this uh, weekend. There was a wedding in the family, and I got to play hooky, which was fantastic, and, uh, and they had to uh, be there, at least for one of us needed to be there. So anyway, so they send their hellos, and man, you guys were so gracious to, to, to uh, welcome us and our kids and, uh, you know, run around with them and play with them and, uh, you, know, just, you know, just love on us and asked us fantastic questions and difficult questions and laughed and uh, were gracious um, about many things uh, that weekend. So anyway, it is, um, it is good to be back. For those of you who, who, who might have not gotten a chance to meet my family, I, I, brought, I had some pictures, I have some pictures uh, of them. This is my dear wife, Amanda. I met Amanda when, when she was 18 years old, I was 19, and she is a true gift. I love her deeply. She, um, um, she is an evidence of God's grace, and she is an incredible woman, strong, funny. She, I, I, mean, I could go on and on. She is very precious. We've been married for 10 years, going to be 11 in just a few months. And again, I love her. I could go on for a little while about her, so I'll, I'll stop. And then we've got three kids, and this is a picture of our kids here. Uh, we've got three kids. Um, <laughs> Our oldest is Hezekiah, Joel, 
Castellanos. Now, you, you process that for a second. This kid is going to be special because when your name has more letters than the entire ABCs, you know, you know that he has to be a particular kind of kid, and he is, he is a true gift. He is eight years old, and he was our, he's a, we call him Kaya. He is fantastic. And our, our daughter, her name is Elena Grace. She is four and uh, Lenny, uh, uh, we call her Lenny, she came at a time in our life that was very difficult for our family. And so her name, Elena, means mercy, and her real name is Grace. And so she really, she really came at a time when, when she was a gift of God's mercy and grace for me and my wife and our family. And she is the only daughter, granddaughter, both sides of the family. So you can imagine this little girl is very, very loved. I won't say spoiled, but she's very, very loved. And our youngest, his name is Marcus. Marcus Guy. And this kid, he is, uh, he is, he is three years old. And he, uh, we are adopting Marcus through the foster care system um, um, our family needed Marcus more than he needed us. And um, it's a long story, so I won't go into that. But, but he's a gift from God to our family. Um, anyway, so he's a fantastic kid. Some of you guys got to meet him. He is full of energy. He's like <laughs> caffeine on steroids. So uh, <laughs> he, is, he is great. So this is, my, this is my tribe, and I love them. And um, as a means of introduction, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. Let me, let me say this. I love being a dad. I absolutely love being a dad. I love all things daddy. The, the serious moments, the difficult moments, the very funny moments. I love it. I love coming home from work or a long trip that I've been away, and, you know, the moment my keys go into the lock and start jingling the lock, I can hear my children, my daughter in particular, screaming at the top of her lungs, Daddy is home! Daddy is home! And I love just, she, she is not very delicate, and so she comes and just full-on tackles me, and uh, she, I love it, I love it. Um, I love everything about fatherhood, but two things just jump to mind. I love making my kids laugh. Can any dads relate? I love making my children laugh. I love telling them funny stories, inside jokes, laughing about bodily smells. I love, you know, tickling them, and and it's a true art to discover that fine line when the kids are still laughing and not yet crying. You know, like, <laughs> that is, that, that, I have not perfected that quite yet. So I'm, I'm often saying, I'm so sorry. That went a little too far. But, but a dad knows, too, a dad knows when, when a laugh is for real, like a belly laugh, and then when it's pity. You, like, this right here was pity right now. It's like, oh, gosh. <laughs> so... I love it. Now, secondly, the second thing that just kind of jumps up is I love giving my kids gifts. I love blessing my children. I love being generous 
towards my kids. And not just during the special occasions or whatnot. My, my daughter, Lenny, she is four and she loves flowers. You know, you go by the flower aisle in Costco and she reminds you that you haven't bought her flowers in a little while. You know, my, my oldest, Hezekiah, loves all things sports. He loves soccer, football, for those of us who are... Uh, oh. <laughs> I won't go into that because I might just get kicked out of that, get kicked out of here. So anyway, uh, he loves all things sports, and our son Marcus, he loves all things Mickey and baseball. He loves baseball, so uh, we're trying to train him right. So uh, we'll, we'll get him around the corner and bring him into the, the f- f- uh, soccer crowd, so it might just take time. Now anyway, I don't know, I don't know if it's a Latino thing, but, but generosity has been something that I've always seen displayed in my family. My, my, my grandfather is the greatest example. I, I, my, my grandfather is in his early 80s, and I, I can't remember one time that he ever said, I love you, to me, vocally. Now, I knew that he loved me. And his way of expressing his love, showing us love, is just by being very generous. Now, I am very vocal about how much I love my kids and my family, and I'm very affectionate with my kids and my family, so don't get me wrong, but I absolutely love blessing my kids with gifts and being generous towards them. A few Christmas ago, there was this thing going on, uh, going around in social media, this, um, uh, like this uh, suggestion, uh, and, and, and in order to help uh, keep the budget low, they, they were suggesting that you would buy your kids four gifts, something they need, something to play, something to read, and something to wear. So we thought it was a fantastic idea. This is great, you know. Well, in theory, it was fantastic. My, my wife very much wanted to stay in those boundaries, but dad has no self-control <laughs> when it comes to that, and so I just failed at, you know, just, I'd go, I'd go get... Um, you know, cereal at the store, and I'd come out with a doll and some flowers and, you know, a soccer ball, and I don't know how it happens. It's like when you go to Target, you know. You go for one thing, and you come out with ten. Um, I'm not making a comparison apples to apples, but in, in a like manner, we have a Father in Heaven who loves to bless His kids, who loves to give good gifts to his children. And you see this idea, you see this theme from the beginning of Scripture in Genesis and all through the whole of the Bible. Genesis 1, 28, God pronounced the blessing over our first fathers, Adam and Eve. And this theme, again, is reoccurring in Genesis and throughout the Bible, building and building and building till this idea explodes with God sending his own son to live the life that we could not live and won't and die the death that we deserved as our representative and then conquering death, sin, and the grave. The innocent treated as though he was guilty. The lion of the tribe of Judah slaughtered like a lamb. What a love. What a blessing. The Bible would say in John fifteen thirteen, no Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And God's love is infinitely greater than that kind of love that can be shown by any finite man. God's love extends beyond his friends and reaches 
into his enemies. I mean, can you believe that? For I mean, that is, what a love, what a blessing. Now, God didn't stop there. In his goodness, God has given us gifts. Some people would call them provisions. And these provisions are meant to help us become more and more like Jesus. They're meant to help us in our sanctification. They are meant to bless us and help us flourish as we walk with God. Help us grow in grace and help us mature so that we can live lives that bring God much glory and refract his glory to those around us. Now, historically, we uh, have mentioned four major provisions that God has made for us, given us as gifts. And this morning, I briefly want to mention three. The first three, very briefly, and for the rest of our time, I want to spend uh, examining the very last provision. So just briefly, let me me mention the first three major gifts that God has given us for our good and our growing in grace and Christ-likeness. So the first one is that God has given us his word. This leather-bound book is not Time Magazine. It's not the Washington Post. It's not the New Yorker or Us Magazine. These are the very words of God. God's self-revelation. Here we find where we came from, what went wrong, what God is doing, has done, and will do to restore and redeem all things. I am a seminary student, and I love all tips and tricks so I can learn things. I'm not that bright. So here's one of them. I believe in the cans of Scripture, C-A-N-S. I believe in the clarity of Scripture. I believe in the authority of Scripture. I believe in the necessity of Scripture and the sufficiency, sufficiency of Scripture. I would say the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Second, God gave us his Holy Spirit. Can you believe that God would give us himself? When you became a Christian, Ephesians 1 would say that you were sealed with the very Holy Spirit of God. God deposited his spirit in you when you first believe. And his spirit guides us into all truth, comforts us, encourages, illumines our minds, helps us, empowers us, and convicts us of sin. Thirdly, God gave us the gift of prayer. Direct access to God because of Jesus, empowered by his spirit. And prayer is one of God's ordained means of accomplishing his purposes. In church, so much could be said about prayer. So I'm not, I'm not going to even try to get started on that. And lastly, this is the fourth major provision that God has given us. And this is the one that I want to spend the rest of our time examining, talking about, uh, looking at. And and the fourth provision is that God gave us the church. I would call it the dearest place on earth. I love the church. I'm a church man. I love it. The family of God the community of his people and the gathering 
of worshipers. So the question would, should arise, why are we looking at this idea of the church and community today? And why this text in particular? Because I know that this is not new information. I know for a fact that your elders have taught you this text in the past. And so my answer is, is very simple. Why are we looking at this text? Why are we looking at this idea of the church? And I would just say this, sometimes extraordinary things become ordinary. I mean, I think about Jesus for just a moment. The, the God who took on human flesh, the Son of God, an extraordinary man. And in Matthew 13, 55, those closest to him would say, is this not just the carpenter's kid? An extraordinary man just becoming ordinary to those maybe closest to him. My experience is that when you've been around something or someone for a long time, the honeymoon stage goes away, things become normal, common, we get used to them, and simply things just become ordinary. And if you're asking me, it shouldn't be so. If you're anything like me, I oftentimes need constant reminders. We see this throughout Scripture. Peter said in his second letter, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, now I would remind you of the gospel. So my intention this morning is not to give you brand new information that you have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to remind you of how uh, special, what a gift God has given us in his goodness in the church. So for a few moments, I just want to take a glimpse at this picture that we are given of the early church and its community in Acts 2. And what I want to do is just point out four marks of true Christian community in the early church. And then just kind of give us an application for how might that look like for us today. Just some take-home thoughts. And I know we already read the text. Darren read the text uh, just a little bit ago. But let me just, if you can, humor me and let me read it again. And then we'll go from there. So Acts 2, verse 42, says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So Taproot, these six verses have shaped my vision for community in the local church more than most. These verses paint a vivid picture of what marked the very first church. What held those believers together after Jesus left them here on earth. What inspired them to leave everything behind for his sake. And what sustained them in the face of horrible opposition and persecution. This text 
describes this community of faith for the sake of our communities of faith today. The passage is short enough to memorize and yet big enough to spend and shape years and even decades of life in the local church. And it captures, I think, at least four marks of true Christian community. So the the very first mark that we see in this text, and it's on the screen, is that there was a sense of relentless devotion and not just casual indifference. Acts verse 42 and 46 say this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And I love that word, devoted. I don't use that word often, but I love that word, devoted. It means to be earnest towards, to persevere, to be constantly diligent, or to attend assiduously all exercises, to adhere closely, to attend continually, to continue in, or to wait on continually. Now, perhaps it is easy to find churches meeting weekly or more, even some within a few miles of your home, or even this church But the question would be how many of our churches are marked by this kind of passionate devotion to God's word and to one another. And this was not just reliable, faithful attendance or reliable spiritual routine. This was relentless joy and love together. It was devotion. So you should ask, what were they devoted to? They were devoted to the scriptures and to their fellowship. And not devoted like you and I might be devoted to a New Year's resolution. These guys were devoted to this like we are devoted to eating food or breathing and drinking each day. They were daily devoted to God's word and to each other like their lives depended on it. Because to some degree it did. So the question that I've been challenged with this week as I've been preparing for this is, does the community where I fellowship, is it committed like theirs? And is this community committed like theirs? The second mark that we see in this text is that there was heartfelt affection and not bored formality. What happened as this little church devoted themselves to the Bible and to one another? Verse 43, at awe came upon every soul. Awe. A feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. Do you think of evangelism like an academic lecture or a marketing pitch, trying desperately to persuade the non-believer to surrender and agree with us? Something different was happening in this tiny, fragile church. You know what that was? Awe. 
a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. Awe overwhelms the mind to get to the heart. And it must take the mind first because no feeling or emotion that leads to real life or joy, no feeling or emotion leads to real life or joy if it is not based on the truth about you and about God. Christianity, though, is not simply about getting the truth right. But it's about having the truth capture our hearts. We ought to be fascinated with Christ. Too many of us in too many churches settle for rehearsing the same truths over and over again and singing and preaching and discussing without expecting to be moved by God again. And awe is not just the experience of conversion, but it should be in day in and day out, faith and community as we watch God move over and over and over again for one another and in one another and our hearts should awaken and wonder again. So the question that I challenge you with is, is this community still moved by God? The third mark that you see in this text is that there was sacrificial generosity going on and not selfish ambition. The, the, the Christians in this first church were captured by a vibrant, dynamic, and powerful personal vision of God. But that did not keep them from focusing on one another. They did not have to choose between being a church that was just going hard after the God seated in heaven and a church dedicated to the needs around them here on earth. Verses 44 and 45 say, All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, Christianity did not isolate believers to focus exclusively on their own relationship with Jesus. But it made each believer a vital vein in the body of Christ, each of them carrying what others needed from God to the one in need. Now, God has promised us to meet our every need. We see that in the book of Matthew chapter 6. And many times, if not most often, he meets our needs through another believer. He gifts each of us, not for self-expression or self-fulfillment, but to fill what is lacking in someone else by meeting genuine needs. God has given each of us grace that was not meant to end with us, but to be extended to someone else. And listen to this, Taproot. Without selfless and sacrificial compassion, grace ends up in storage, not in action. 
The first Christians were so secure in God's promises that they let go all they had to help one another. To the watching world, this was unexplainably selfless, foolishly generous. Later on in Macedonia, 2 Corinthians says, In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. What? (laughs) Joy faced with need always looks like compassion and sacrifice. And I don't know about you, but that looks just like the cross. So is this community radically selfless and generous towards one another? The last mark that you see in our text is that there was a contagious joy, not secluded cliques. When, when, I, when I think about my church, about our churches, the sentence that challenges and inspires me the most is the last one in this text. Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All the devotion, all the affection, all the compassion became irresistibly contagious. It was like a virus. It was like a it was like the chicken pox. Now, we do not measure our community strictly in numbers because only God gives the growth, not us. But we should measure ourselves in part by whether he's giving growth at all. If our Christian community is committed but not compelling to anyone, we should be asking some serious questions about what we're committing to. Every single church in the world has a mission statement directly from God himself. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 say this. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, now God did not mean for some of us to make disciples and others to do all kind of other ministries. Every Christian... And every Christian community is called to share the gospel with the lost, disciple Christians into maturity, and equip them to go and do the same. And God intends to make every genuine expression of love, joy, and worship, true love, joy, and worship, contagious. So the question that I want to challenge you with is, is this community consistently making disciples? Four marks in our text. First mark, there was a relentless devotion, not casual indifference. Mark two, there was heartfelt affection, not bored formality. The third mark, there was sacrificial generosity, not selfish ambition. And lastly, there was a contagious joy, not secluded cliques. So, so, So the question then would become, so... Okay, I get it. I see the, I see the four marks. So, so what now? What, what, what do we do? What do I do? 
How do we apply this to this community, to, to, to 2017, now, here and now? And, and I just have a few thoughts. Again, this is not exhaustive. This is just a few thoughts that I've been considering and being challenged with this week. There's six things we could do. And I'm just going to go through them fairly quick. First thing that we could do and we got to remember is that we are called to love the church. We are called to love the church. Who do we take this cue from? God. He loves the church and loves her so much, in fact, that he sent his son to die for her. We ought to, if he would give his son, we ought to give ourselves to the church. We ought to love the church. And loving the church, you know, sometimes I make this super complicated, but it shouldn't be too complicated. Listen, loving the church really just means fellowshipping with the church. The, the easiest way to love the church, you know how, what it is? Simply show up. Show up. Loving the church means praying for each other. Do you, do you pray for the elders at Taproot? Do you pray for the, the Tap Kids leaders? Do you pray for the student ministry leaders and teenagers? Do you pray for the tired college kid? Do you pray for the big family who needs help? Do you pray for the strange teenagers around? Do you pray for God to build and grow his church for his glory do you pray for the finances of the church, for the church planters and missionaries that you support, for the kids, for the employers and empl employees in the room, and for the retired folks? Do you pray for spiritual growth and for joy? And I don't know about you, but as I was writing this the other day, I felt a pang of conviction in my soul. Because I so often forget to do this. Now, don't get me wrong. I said loving the church is not complicated, but it's not always easy. We hurt each other sometimes. We say thoughtless or discouraging things to one another. There are conflicts. We offend one another. We sin against one another. But in spite of all of this, guess what, church? We are still the family of God. That means that we choose to pursue forgiveness. We pursue reconciliation. We pursue peace with one another. We can't just walk away from our family because we don't feel like dealing with their problems. Because families are in it for the long haul. And that's not easy, but it's worth it. So we are called to love and give ourselves to the church. The second thing that we can do as a response is remember that we are called to serve the church. This idea is all around Scripture. And if love is the foundation of our relationship with the church, a desire to serve should naturally bloom out of that. And so you, you ask, well, how, how do I serve? You know what? All you got to do is look at your gifts, 
Look at your interests and ask, how can you use that for gospel work? There are mountains of ideas here. God has wired you uniquely for a reason. God has allowed you to go through certain experiences and circumstances in your life for a reason. How can you use those for gospel work and for God's glory? Serving doesn't necessarily mean having to sing or teach or do something up front. At its most basic level, serving the church community just means being kind to one another. The third thing that we could do as a way of response is that we've got to remember that we are called to worship with the church. Martin Luther said this, and I love this. He said, at home, in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. I love that. The gospel should transform our idea of Sunday morning worship from a thing of monotonous duty to one of delight. If worship is something that should exist in our lives all week, and it should, Sunday should not be a chore to get out of the way. It should be a community response to God's glory and beauty and work in our lives. Singing, listening to sermons, taking the Lord's Supper, and giving offerings are all just outward acts of an inward reality. God has saved undeserving sinners for his glory. So I don't know about you, but I think we should worship. <laughs> we ought to worship. The fourth thing that we could do as a, as a way of response to the marks of true community that we saw in Acts is we've got to remember that we are called to hold and be held accountable in the church and by the church. This is not that popular. (laughs) One thing we all know to be true, sin is easy when we give into temptation. The Bible says that we have a real enemy who is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour the people of God. This is why accountability is key. Accountability gets a bad rap sometimes. It's not policing people, but it's an outpouring of grace. When you join a church, church memberships does not involve an expectation to live perfectly. Rather, Church membership is a commitment to worship and minister in a body of believers where the members covenant together to hold each other accountable to pursue obedience to what the scriptures teach. Now, accountability is not nitpicking sin. It's about fostering honesty and truth in a commitment to obey Christ above all else. It's not about 
coming to each other only when others or we are sinning, but it's the indirect practice of pursuing holiness. When we hear gospel preaching, read the Bible, pray together or sing together or fellowship together, we essentially are growing in holiness. This is the center of the lifeblood and center of accountability. And thus, should be taking place in the church and all the time. The church is just being the church. The church is being the church as an example of accountability since it's fundamentally about a desire to obey. Now, two more things, and I'll wrap it up. We are called to be the church. Now, listen to this. If all we are doing is looking inward, if all we are doing is becoming a holy huddle or the frozen chosen, you know what, church? We are doing it wrong. Being the church is who we are every day of the week, everywhere we place our feet. Someone once said to me, because of the gospel, the church is the hope of the world. We have got the cure to the sin problem all around us that manifests itself in a bazillion different ways. And his name is Jesus. It's the gospel and God has entrusted it to the church. And you can't forget that God has providentially placed you in the neighborhood where you live, in the places where you work, in the sports teams where your kid plays sports for a reason. To be a light in a dark world, to love and serve your neighbor, to toil, sow, water gospel seeds, and pray that the Lord would bring fruit. And the last thing that I would just say could be a way for us to respond is that you you can't forget that we are called to do all of this together. We are called to worship together. We are called to learn together. We are called to fellowship together. We are called to serve together. We are called to love together. We are called to share together. We are called to celebrate and suffer together. We are called to sing together, to give together. We are called to be on mission and be the church together. So church, love, serve, worship, be held accountable Hold accountable, be the church, and do it together. Don't let this gift of God's goodness that he has given us in the church become ordinary because it shouldn't. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. And this is on the screen as well. If I had never joined the church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. The moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would have not been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is. 
it is the dearest place on earth to us. I love the church. God loves the church. He gave himself to for the church. How how much how, how how could we not do the same? So this morning we are going to respond with some more worship and singing and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as well. You got to remember how good God has been to you. Don't let extraordinary things become ordinary. God sent his son to die for us. I should never become ordinary. He didn't stop there, but he helps us and he empowers us and he's given us his word, his spirit, his people in prayer because he is so good. And if you have allowed any of these things, if you've allowed the church to become ordinary, if you've allowed the, the very gospel of the Son of God to become ordinary, I would just encourage you to examine your heart and to repent and to allow God to overwhelm your mind with the truth of His Son and then capture your heart this morning. So I'm going to pray and then these guys are going to lead us in worship and then I think Darren's going to come up and he's going to lead us through the Lord's Supper. So let's pray. Father, I, first of all, I just want to ask you that you would forgive me because oftentimes I've taken your people for granted. I've taken the community of worshipers, the gathering of worshipers, I've taken it for granted and I've not loved the church. I've not been generous or kind and I've not been selfless but I've been selfish God and I've pursued my ambitions Lord and would you forgive me God help me to love the church like you love the church and you love us your people so much that you would send your son to die in our place to give his life to rescue us from death and to transplant us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light don't let the gospel, don't let the church, don't let the Bible, don't let prayer ever become ordinary, God. But let us cherish them and treasure them, God, because they are gifts of your grace. And God, as we are the church together, may those around us see your glory, God. And may they be compelled by the gospel being lived out day in and day out, everywhere we go, God. So forgive us, Lord. Empower us to go be the church, Lord. And let us believe deep in our heart that the church is the dearest place on earth.
thank you for your gifts, Lord, of grace. Now, we look to you, God. We respond in repentance, in worship, in confession, but we respond as your people, and we do it together. In Jesus' name we pray.